Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to Star Talk. Your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome to Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. I'm also the director of New York City's Hayden Planetarium at the American Museum of Natural History. This week, we ring in the new year and prepare to launch yet another season of Star Talk Radio. But first, we say goodbye to 2017 in the only way we know how, by our annual Time Capsule Show. By the way, this completes our eighth season. Eight, count them. Every year, we send out a survey to you, our fans, and ask you to vote for all your favorite episodes, guests, co-hosts. Then... We create the single mashup episode of the winning picks. And so we have done just that, selecting the best moments from this past season with your help. We kick this off with your number one favorite episode, Let's Make America Smart Again, with Fareed Zakaria. This was the first of our several special edition episodes where we highlight facts and root out fallacies surrounding the politics that influence science in America. CNN journalist Fareed Zakaria joins comedic co-host Chuck Nice and me to help us understand the impact of immigration or absence thereof on science and innovation in America. Check it out. So I look at things like the Manhattan Project, so crucial to what became 20th century um, uh, politics and science, and it landed us where we became, where we were for the entire second half of the 20th century. And most of those scientists were foreign-born nationals. And, and so what, what, what from, your, from your world view, 
How, could you just explain how this works? Just you know, it's it's fascinating. You're you're absolutely right. We think that America was always the most scientifically innovative country in the world. You know, we look at the Nobel Prizes and we take it for granted. Five percent of the world's population, we get about seventy-five percent of the world's prizes, and that doesn't even count Obama's Peace Prize, which I regard as kind of a weird one mm-hmm. uh, in his oh, first year of office. Come on, it's like a lifetime <laughs> achievement award. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you know, at, at age twenty-five. At age twenty-five, you didn't really earn this, but we got to give it to you just because we like exactly. you. Exactly. But if you look at the early twentieth century. 1910, 1914, I forget the exact date, Germany had won more prizes in science, Nobel Prize in science, than Britain and the United States put together. So the U.S. becomes a powerhouse in science basically for three big reasons. The first is the destruction of Europe. Right. Basically, World War One, World War Two, Great Depression, the place gets flattened, all the universities shut with, down. With the last man standing. Mm-hmm. With the last man standing, and particularly Germany gets destroyed. Right. Germany was the scientific uh, superpower. Second, we take in all these immigrants. People forget, even in the 30s, with all the restrictions... 100,000 Jews came in from Europe, many of them scientists. As you say, many of them worked on the Manhattan Project. Mm -hmm. After that, of course, the door opens even wider. And the third is massive government funding. So let's think about it. Europe ain't destroyed anymore. Government funding is down to half what it used to be. Our only hope, frankly, is that we keep taking in the best and brightest in the world. Otherwise, you, you already see the world catching up. Um, you already see that, you know, Japanese uh, scientists win Nobel Prizes routinely, that you now have yes. the Chinese getting in on the action. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we have to recognize the beginning there. we're 5% of the world. We want to make sure that we're not winning just 5% of the Nobel Prizes. Wow. That, well, that's, I mean, that, that, that very fact then is enabled only if you then not only have access to, but mutual interest in coming to the world's greatest talent. And the world's greatest talent isn't always in your country because everybody's human and innovation is not some... Uh, Nobody has a monopoly on no, 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 Innovation. It's just right. a matter of opportunity to express it. So when I go back to, uh, again, the Manhattan Project, I go back to the Apollo Project, each of those had sort of military motivations. Uh, I mean, we don't like remembering Apollo as military, but NASA was in response, of course, to Sputnik and the threat that, that, that we perceived by that. But you look at, uh, you look at, there was, of course, Einstein came over. So, like you said, this whole flux of Jewish science Scientists. Then, after the Second World War, we build our space program on the back of Werner von Braun, for example. Mm-hmm. And now you have all these people. You know, Enrico Fermi. We have a labs named after this guy. Fermi Labs. Okay? He's Italian. His wife is Jewish. And all of this is going on. And we just, this is America. That's exactly right. It's not even being fine-toothed yeah. for, for what that is. It's just, of course. Uh, <laughs> you know, you go, uh, I just I look in our notes for this, that apparently... Um, you know, of course, Benjamin Franklin, let's go back to him, one of our, the first great scientists mm-hmm. of, the, of the United States. Uh, he, uh, I mean, I, he wrote books on research and electricity. So he's, he's probably, he might even be, been a better scientist than founding father. I mean, if you look at what his record is and what Absolutely. he discovered and the books that he had published. But regardless, uh, he, he, his parents fled England because of religious persecution. And he's here, and so he's basically an immigrant his immigrant lineage, which would have been easy back then, yeah, I guess. That's pretty cool. That, see, the thing is, though, it uh, doesn't really count when you're, when you're not brown. Uh, <laughs> oh, is that what that uh, I'm just saying. Like, you know, it's uh, just the way it works. So let's, so, get, let's, let's get to that. No, there are let's rules. Get to that. There are rules. Let's get to that. So, 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 Farid, uh, let me be devil's advocate here. 
So we have these, I could cite all the, the famous scientists of the 20th century that shaped modern, uh, you know, we have Werner von Braun from Germany who birthed the, he, he basically designed the Saturn V rocket that got us to the moon because he had that knowledge and, uh, and, and awareness from his, from developing the V2 rocket. And that was basically the first ballistic missile. It left Earth's atmosphere, found its target, fell on the target. Right. That's that's a ballistic missile. V two okay. being the rockets that the Germans developed and and ra and, and uh, rained on London in nineteen forty four. Correct. Correct. Although rain would be a little too delicate a word for what these things did. <laughs> uh, so they, yeah, they fall out of the sky supersonically. So you, it's not a, it's not like. Not a whistle. Yeah, no, you do not. You it's just you're right. walking, and then the block explodes. Right. Okay. That's how that. So how my that dad was a graduate student in in, in London in 1945, uh, and was having coffee with a bunch of his friends in a cafe. Um, he was. And they said to him, "Stay for a while." He said, "No, I got to get back. I got to get some work done." He walks out. And he turns his back, and a V two rocket hit the cafe. Mm. Everyone there, every friend of his died. If he had just stayed, when they told him just have one more cup of coffee, he would have. He would have been dead. Man, Damn. yeah. Then we wouldn't even be having this conversation. We wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. No, or, or I think of it the other way. That's how sad. many others might I have been having conversation right. and not him. Not him. <laughs> because they would have had to say exactly. exactly. did he ever did he ever use that as a motivated faction to a factor to get you to do your work? <laughs> let me tell you something. That would do yeah, you know what? I got back to work and I'm alive. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, different people are different. My dad had had a tough upbringing. He was a self made man, and he always said, I went through stuff I don't want you to ever have to go through. Uh -huh, uh -huh, <laughs> that was uh -huh. his attitude. Yes. Well, let me just complete this list. Uh, Steve Jobs, as we know, um, uh, he, he, his, his family lineage is traceable to Syria, if I remember. Syria, so his actual father, father. Was, a, was a Syrian immigrant. And uh, Elon Musk, a South African, uh, via Sergey Canada. Brin, Sergey Brin, Google. Is and Google, right. All of this, all of this. And so, so... Not to mention all the real, I mean, the scientists. These are all we're talking about. We're trying just to, the entrepreneurs. Right, we're just talking about the entrepreneurs. If you okay, look so at the now, real scientists. devil's advocate. Um, this is a list of people any country would want. So... Do you say, yes, you can immigrate if you have these kinds of ambitions or if you're going to, if you're going to, we'll, we'll let you in if you go get a degree in, in engineering. I mean, is that, is, the, is that the devil's advocate posture here that has not yet been resolved in this conversation? So there's no question we should take any of those kinds of people. I mean, there's, I think Michael Bloomberg had the idea, if you, if you get a PhD in, in science, you should have a green card stapled to your degree when you get it. Makes sense. And that makes a lot of sense. Makes sense. There's no question we it should. It was also, also um, Newt Gingrich uh, was a right? very yeah. strong posture on that. And I, and I think that, you know, that seems to me a no-brainer and one of the parts of immigration reform one hopes eventually mm -hmm. we'll get to. Mm -hmm. um, the harder question, as you say, is we take in lots of people who are not like that. That's called the family unification policy. I think we've probably taken too many that way and too few who are, who are skills and, mm -hmm. and brain-based. But, you know, there's also something to be said for the sheer drive mm -hmm. that, um, that low-skill immigrants bring. I, obviously, in the right numbers and in a way that can, they can be integrated. But the biggest problem for a rich country is you, you lose that drive. You lose that hunger. I mean, you know, we all have children. And you know, the more fortunate the parents' circumstance, mm -hmm. the kids are going to be great They're kids. Fat and lazy. <laughs> they can't have the same drive, right? Right, right. And, but, but United Arab. Emirates has a similar problem. It's a very wealthy country, right. but who's going to clean the laundry and right. who's going right. to... But, but some guy who comes from 
you know, Mexico or, or Guatemala, Honduras, who's willing to risk everything, abandon, you know, home culture and come there, come here to wash dishes. Just to 16 do hours a, a day. Right. That's a certain kind of drive and energy. And by the way, that person might end up doing something remarkable. His children That's might end up doing something remarkable. The real thing you have to keep into mind is the children of those people tend to be the ones who have that same drive, right. but right. they are also educated here in America, which gives them a distinct advantage when it comes to a bigger achieving. drive than American with the same American education. There you go. So there are, a golden... so what we're doing is we're creating better Americans. 2017 saw StarTalk's fourth season on the National Geographic Channel and our third Emmy nomination. This next clip is from my Nat Geo interview with Captain Kirk himself, William Shatner. I was joined in studio with astrophysicist and StarTalk All-Star Charles Liu, as well as NASA technologist David Batchelor to talk about the power of science fiction. Co-hosting this episode is Chuck Nice, who you selected as your number one favorite co-host of the season for a second year in a row. Check it out. Did your work on Star Trek introduce you to the world of science fiction? No, I I had read science fiction prior to that. I was I was fascinated by uh, science fiction. Um, the greatest Star Trek episodes were stories suggested by the great science fiction writers. Asimov being one, uh, the the most obvious, but there were others who had great story ideas, but they didn't know how to write a, a well-made television play. So we had television writers take their great ideas and make the great Star Trek episodes. That magic of uh, science fiction and its projection into the future, its ability to try to imagine an explanation of some of the things we can't explain, moving lights, uh, back in time, the, that, whole, that whole thing that astrophysicists wrestle with, science fiction wrestles with, but with an imaginative explanation. <laughs> even Shatner is doing Shatner. <laughs> he doesn't even look, he looks like he's doing an impression of himself. Explanations. <laughs> so, so Charles, you're, yeah. you're, you're a colleague. We both work in the same field. Yeah. And there's always some imagination at the frontier. Oh, 100%. You and I both know that if all we did in the stereotypical sense, was as scientists be in our white lab coats and do the same things over and over again that you expect that somebody who doesn't have any creativity to do, we would never get anywhere. We imagine answers to questions, whether we have the technical expertise yet or not to answer them. And it just turns out that in real science, we try to use our technical abilities to produce legitimate experiments, whereas in science fiction, they are freed from that constraint. So... What they also do is not just imagine what science is in the future. In almost all cases, certainly the best cases, they're finding all the ways that new science affects culture, civilization, humanity. That's right. And, of course, Ray Bradbury is famous for... The Martian it, Chronicles. Yeah. He, Ray Bradbury was accused of saying, why are you always all dystopic <laughs> about the future? And you know what he said? He said, is this the future you, you're wishing we go to? He says, no, I write these futures so that we don't. Go that's there. right. Oh, that's, that's, pretty, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. That's we have deep. to imagine yeah. both the good and the bad in order to prepare for either one. So when you have science fiction and an imaginative palette, you, they're all, it's like a multiverse of options of where you can take the future of, of, our, of our civilization. And I'm trying to think, you go back a few decades, let's say to the 80s, 
people were already making movies, dystopic movies, about the, the, the pandemics, uh, of course, nuclear destruction. We were still in the Cold War, yes. uh, cloning, a little bit of cyberspace was in there. So it's just fun to think about what the creativity of a science fiction writer will do and how much we have to pay attention to. That to is so depressing. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, it is. The 80s were a few decades ago. Oh, my God. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's nice that you mentioned Ray Bradbury. Just as much as scientists of our generation were inspired by his, say, Martian Chronicles, he, too, was inspired by scientists who were just studying Mars at that time. So it all interplays together. It's a very, very nice combination of creativity and technology. Well, up next in my interview with William Shatner, we'll be discussing race relations <gasps> in America through the lens of Star Trek. And it was created, as you know, by producer Gene Roddenberry back in the 1960s. Let's check it out. Were you self-aware of Roddenberry's larger mission statement that he was trying to make a difference in the world? Well, both of those statements are suspect. <laughs> okay. 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 I'm not sure how much of a difference... Um, Roddenberry was trying to make in the world. He had a, a, a wonderful idea, uh, no interference, uh, uh, live long and prosper, whatever the edicts were, except the crew did go down and interfere. That was, <laughs> that was the, that resulted in a plot. <laughs> right. That was the story. If you didn't interfere, you'd just say, hi guys, we'll just fly by. Yeah, right. Good going, guys. You know, so you had to interfere to have a plot. So we throw that out the window. But those ideas that were in the individual plots that each movie, each segment of the series was based on, those were great ideas. Half white, half black, yeah. half black, half white. Fighting with the, the stupidity of racial fighting. In a time when the civil rights movement is in full swing. Right. And... So this is a story in space forcing us to... Forcing us to look at the in inanity of, of, uh, of race relationships. That's science fiction at its best. So that idea, I don't know where it came from. I don't know who suggested that idea. And I would imagine Roddenberry had the last statement saying, this goes, we'll, 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 we'll do this story. So from that point of view, he was doing something. From my point of view, of whether I was aware, I read that story, I thought, my gosh, what a wonderful story idea this is. How dramatic. They fight. I hate you, because you're black on that side. That's a great... And it's obvious I'm fighting you, because I'm black on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> and that was clear to them, for whatever right, reason. Right, right. So the, it was clear to everybody... What a glorious story that was. And we had so many others down the line uh, with other subjects in mind. Uh, so, yes, I was very much aware. Sleep. Grocery shopping. Themselves. Just a few things working moms seldom have time for. And during tax season, you can add 
taxes to their list. So for all you working moms, make the easy switch to H&R Block and have an expert make easy work of your taxes. H&R Block guarantees your taxes are 100% accurate and your max refund or your money back. Plus, with their no surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even have an H&R Block Tax Pro do your taxes in a block office or online from the comfort of your own home. Can your current tax guy promise all that? When you're buried under life's to-dos, let the experts at H&R Block stay on top of your taxes with a return that's right on the money and your biggest refund possible. Because tax season after tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Descriptions of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Welcome back to Start Off. This special time capsule episode is a mishmash mashup of your favorite moments from all of season eight. You cast your votes, and as always, it was a tight race, but the results are in. This next clip features one of your favorite guests from all of season eight, former NFL star, actor, and fitness enthusiast, Terry Crews. He and I became fast friends. Exercise physiologist Dr. Felicia Stoller joined Chuck Nice and me in the Hall of the Universe to chat about the science of fitness. I asked Terry where his path to fitness began. Let's check it out. It was a lot of lonely nights and days as a 14-year-old boy in my room looking in the mirror doing this stunt and stuff. <laughs> and it's like, oh, and now you're paid to do it. But... <laughs> So crazy is that? Well, 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 you were buff in, as, at 14? Well, you, you know what? I, I have to say, I always wanted to be strong. Uh-huh. That was the thing. I, I think it comes from I had a father who was addicted to alcohol and a mom who was addicted to religion. 
Okay. So it makes a very caustic mix. I mean, very combustible. Combu- I mean, it was like yeah. There's no, there's no, there's no common path out no, of that. No, no, uh-huh. no. Because your your life, you deal with shame, and then you deal with being a child of an alcoholic parent. You you want to be a pleaser, yeah. and, you, and the only thing I had to myself was the need to be strong, like the the, the physical thing. And Plus, so we're of the generation where, where. Uh, if if you were bullied, the advice was become strong so you can kick their ass. Yeah, yeah. I just felt the need to be strong, and I remember, you know, I actually my earliest memory is um, I would lift couches and and chairs and stuff, and I actually had a hernia when I was five years old because I was always walking around. And uh, my earliest video footage, I'm going, I'm making muscles, and I'm like, I wanted to be strong. And um, once I discovered weights. I was like, I can, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get my, I, I think it was because of fear. You know, mm-hmm. I was always scared. I was scared when my dad come home drunk. I was scared I didn't do something that my mom didn't want me to do. You know, it was that fear of just everything, fear of the world. You didn't know, and I, I had to protect myself. Felicia, wow. in your life experience, do people lift weights more out of fear or out of fitness? I think more people lift weights out of fitness, I think. Today. Today, maybe. I think they do. I mm. can totally understand where he was coming from, that it was something that he was able to put his energy into for himself, and he could make something of himself with that. But I think most people today, I mean, there's a difference between lifting weights for health and well-being versus bodybuilding, right. and he sort of is on that fringe well, of no, athlete a, he, and bodybuilder. He was afraid. I understand yes. that. I had right. the same kind of experience and then I discovered weights and I was like oh this is hard <laughs> and he had a hernia at age five right. from lifting stuff right. and all we can think of is Bam Bam from right. the Flintstones <laughs> right? <laughs> right right and so that seems a little early in, in one's life so uh, let me just ask then if you go into a fitness center yes there'll be the bodybuilders right then the health fitness people yes but then how about the people who are the people who do it for sex appeal I mean being fit is sexy right yeah, but but right? <laughs> but what I wonder if evolutionarily there's a driver for that, or do, in your studies, does that come up? Not so much in terms of sexy. I mean, we look at art throughout the years, and you look at what the evolution of beauty was, and what was maybe perceived sexy a few hundred years ago versus today. I think today. the male Greek statue still holds today. Right. I'm, th- I'm thinking, right. lady, is that right? Okay. But, but <laughs> David, <Right>. anyone, <laughs> <laughs> ladies. <laughs> But when you look at who's the sexiest man or the sexiest woman, they're usually fit. They're not necessarily bodybuilder-esque. So I think that there's a very big difference in that. And then when people are training for those types of events, they don't look like that 12 months of the year. That's the one thing that I always caution people about um, when they are training for those events. Those, you're looking at one moment in time. You're not looking, when they have to look that when way. When they have to look that way for yeah. competition. So you're saying it's different. all a lie. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, a charade? A one-day charade. A one-day charade. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. A one-day facade. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. So, so I, I, but I can tell you flat out that when I was a kid, any incentive to lift weights was not for health. Right. It was really because there were bullies out there. Right. Bullies back then were physical bullies. Right. It wasn't any of this word stuff. It was physical bullies. Right. And we, we were told sticks and stones can break my bones, right. but birds will never hurt me. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I got to stop the sticks and stones from breaking my bones. The only way I can do that is to go build muscles. And the ads in the back of comic books 
Right. Are you a 97-pound weakling? Right. Go come lift weights with Charles Atlas, and then you can come back and kick some ass. And so, so I have to agree with Terry. At least in my childhood, the motivation was for protection. And so... But you were also an athlete as well when you were a kid. Yeah, but I wasn't lifting couches and stuff, and I, <laughs> I'd have a hernia at age five. It was later. I mean, I, late, middle you guys, school. You guys were hernia at 13. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So, so for me, I viewed myself as, because I, once I got bigger and stronger, I was protector of the nerds. Right. Yeah, I was, I, I, if I were to be a superhero, that's the superhero it would be. Like, nerd shield. <laughs> yeah. I am nerd shield. <laughs> So, so, uh, so let me just get back to this. So does lifting weights make you healthier? Yes, it does. Absolutely. So lifting weights does a few things. One is it increases your muscle mass. And we all want to increase our muscle mass because the flip side is that we burn more fat for fuel at rest, like at when you're rest. sleeping, mm -hmm. right? right? The other thing is that the... So that, we, that, that allows you to eat more. That's right. Okay. <laughs> well, you actually have to eat more, right? You do need to eat more. Well, it depends on what your end goals are at mm -hmm. the end of the day. So it's good for bone density. It's also good for overall like strength, so for activities of daily living, right? As we get older, we should continue to conti to lift weights and to do resistance exercise. And the other thing is that when we're getting toner and our muscles get bigger, actually the circumference of our limbs gets smaller because our whole body, everything is round, right? Our arms, our waist, our legs. So as you get tighter and you get toner, everything gets smaller. So there's this is a benefit if you're not to that. trying to get big muscles, if you're just right. getting, trying to get fit muscles. Right, fit muscles. Fit muscles, right. okay. Correct. So hopefully you're balancing out any of the strength training that you're doing with some uh, stretching mm. and flexibility training as well. I loved being well-stretched, as I was <laughs> when I wrestled. I, I could put my foot over my head and do a split. It was, it was the best <laughs> kind of... I'm, I'm just envisioning... <laughs> Just sitting here enjoying the visuals. Neo with his leg. No, no, Hi. Do you like the cosmos? <laughs> All right, so normally we don't think of lifting weights as strengthening joints. That's an interesting added feature to this. Yes. And so, um, so can you lift weights too much? Oh, absolutely. Overuse injuries can happen all the time. So it's important to allow rest in between. So that's a, actually a common problem. I see that a lot with uh, individuals that I'm working with. I see that with people at the gym that think they can work out every body part every single day. The truth is you need to allow your muscles at least two days of rest in between working that muscle. To recover. Them. To recover. Because that's in order... That's where I'm a Viking. Yeah. <laughs> Allowing rest in between. Right. I just never go to the gym first. <laughs> So really allowing that rest in between muscle groups. I'm not saying you shouldn't exercise every day because you actually can exercise every day, do something physically active Upper body, every day. lower body. Well, yes, that's how I actually do it because that whole back and bicep, chest and tricep thing, I got a problem with that. because I like then that. Back you, and bicep, chest, chest and, and tricep. Well, that's a whole thing. Right, right. Well, but that's been like the traditional mantra no, wait, of weight back training. Back and bicep. Chest and, chest and tricep. All right, I got yeah, you. But the problem is you need the other muscles to do those other exercises. So you really need to do everything from your chest to your fingertips in one sort of day of okay. resistance training. Do mm -hmm. your core and your abdominal stuff. And then do from your tush down uh, to your toes, right? From your you butt down. You can say down. ass on this show. Okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so then you would do your lower body. And hopefully you're doing uh, cardio in between and doing a little bit of everything. Next up. 
NASA astronaut and Canadian hero, Commander Chris Hatfield took over the driver's seat at StarTalk Live from FutureCon. Commander Hatfield hosted a talented panel to discuss engineering of the future, including the one and only Stephen Hawking, who joined the stage via hologram to lend his words of wisdom. Comedic co-host Eugene Merman brought along comedic guests Maeve Higgins and Scott Adzit. Joining as expert guests, electrical engineer Catherine Pratt and mechanical engineer Suveen Mathaudu. I was, I was lucky enough to do two spacewalks. And we understand pretty clearly what causes the northern lights. We know it's it's energy from the sun being caught by the Earth's magnetic field and reacting with the upper atmosphere and, and the little uh, electron states going up and down and, and fluorescing. And that's why the northern lights glow green and glow red. But while I was outside on a spacewalk, we went through the southern lights. And what, what started out as sort of a robotic, technical understanding of how a planet behaves suddenly became so visceral and so beautiful and so... Um, so entirely different than just the science that's behind it. To be surrounded by, uh, and with it flowing between my legs and around the ship, to see our world that way, I think, I think that is very much the essence of discovery and exploration. And I don't think we're going to have robots that are, that are going to appreciate that. Well, Ray Bradbury always said that we should be sending up artists into space so they could capture the I emotion. agree with you. I agree with you. But the thing is... We have three artists right here who have a, a great wealth of knowledge about science, but you all are artists as well, and I think that's very valuable. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> I validate you. <laughs> and when you speak about like the two um, working together, like okay. humans and robots, it makes me think of like the photos that we got back from... Is it the little voyagers, those two little crafts who went and took a picture of Saturn's rings and I like, took a picture? And like, then when we could see them back here, like people who will never like, walk in space, that made me feel like, oh, I am actually connected to this and I can picture it and I can see it. And that's magic too. I mean, but, it's not magic, it's science. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so let's, we have the opportunity, I think, if the technology will allow us to bring in an expert. Um, who has sort of thought about a lot of different things and has had time through an extremely long and successful career uh, of invention and discovery and original thought to, uh, to talk about a lot of different topics, including the idea of, of exploration in life. So uh, could we ask uh, Dr. Stephen Hawking to join us, please? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Can you hear us? I can hear you too. I am delighted to have the opportunity to use Art Media's hologram technology to transcend time and space to be with you today. Well, if anybody can transcend time and space, uh, it should be you, sir. Um, (laughs) We have a question for you, uh, and that is, if the combination of humans and their technology and the robots, if it takes us far enough out into the universe so that someday we eventually can find evidence of life somewhere else, what's it going to look like? What do you think life in other planets or other solar systems might be like? 
Our civilization is only about 10,000 years old. But the universe is about 14 billion years old. Therefore, any other life in the universe is likely to be much more advanced than us, or so primitive that it hasn't even begun to evolve. In the former case, the Breakthrough Listen Project should be able to pick up their radio transmissions, if they are close enough. But in the latter case, one has a rather boring universe, full of potentially dangerous bacteria, or other life forms. A far cry from the usual science fiction picture of glamorous aliens. <laughs> Any other life we discover is likely to be artificial because robots with artificial intelligence are far better equipped than biological life to survive the long duration and radiation damage of interstellar travel. Beam out. Yeah. I wish I could do that. That's cool. <laughs> so that's, that's intriguing that uh, one of the deepest thinkers we have thinks that if we do encounter life, in order for it to have survived over the immensity of distance and time, it will have had to no longer be biological, but will have had to transfer itself into some sort of uh, uh, technical or, or robotic kind of form. So some sort of hybrid between the two. But for now, we're kind of stuck with these biological forms. We, we're not far enough along yet. And we're fragile physically fragile, psychologically fragile. Um, the crew up on the space station is, is very much separate from the world. I was talking to Susan Helms when she was up there uh, back uh, on my second space flight, and, and at one point, Susan said to me in passing, she said, hey, uh, Earth said that we need to do this tomorrow. And I thought, <laughs> Earth said <laughs> that her, her psychological fragility, her, her, just her makeup was such, and she's, she's became a, a multi-star general in the Air Force. I went to test pilot school with her, wonderful person. But in order to stay healthy that far away from home, even that close, but that separate, she had to completely split herself from the rest of humanity. You have to recognize that you are no longer an earthling. You are a spaceling. Earth is a separate, discrete entity from yourself, and you and your crew are, are that way. And I think as we go further, uh, we're going to have to um, have to honor that. We put a lot of psychological support equipment up on the spaceship. In fact, we have, we have a big movie library up there. <laughs> uh, we have a huge uh, audio library of songs, books to read, um, Yo-yos. <laughs> Yo-yos, yes, which are fun in weightlessness. You can walk the dog forever. <laughs> Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. 
Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils, you'll want to invite everyone over, from book club to the fantasy league, even the in-laws. It smells amazing. Airwick Vibrant Scented Oils are infused with two times more natural essential oils versus regular Airwick Scented Oils for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Hmm. Transform your space with scents like white sage and mahogany or lavender and water lily. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Next up, a Star Talk Live edition from New York Comic Con. Former Mythbuster and King of Nerds, Adam Savage, joined me on stage alongside comedic co-host Chuck Nice and NYU philosopher Matthew Lau to geek out over the promises and perils of human augmentation. I th- we're talking about Batman and Iron Man. Uh, Batman and Iron Man, those are my two favorite because they're, they're, their secret power is their brains. And they're human. Yeah. Yes. Well, we got some people taking issue with this out. Well, <laughs> yeah, we, you can't express that strong an opinion in front of this crowd. That's all I'm saying. But, so, but they clearly have augmentations to their bodies in some way or another. I, I think it's more they have augmentations to their bank account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This, you're bringing up, there's a poster that shows all of the philanthropic giving that Bill Gates has undergone in the past like 20 years, you know, right. $30 billion, and that by conservative estimates, he's saved over 6 million lives. This is as of a few years ago. Right. And at the bottom, it says, suck it, Batman. This is how a billionaire saves people. There you Ooh. go. But does he have a utility belt? (laughs) If if Bill wanted a utility belt, I'd make him one. Uh, If if Bill wanted a utility belt, I'd be it for him. (laughs) (laughs) So so let me ask Adam, how do we define super in this regard? Well, is Batman a superhero? He can't fly. He can't. There's a lot of stuff he can't do. Yeah, the, uh, where you, where Super gets into the realm of the fictional is in both of the Batman and Iron Man augmentations. Because Iron Man's exosuit, while in any small piece of it, is somewhat possible or plausible that there are mechanical linkages you could build that would be self-perpetuating and give you all sorts of extra strength. The idea that it would work without flaw repeatedly is an absolute fantasy. I mean, or, or one might say a myth. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, no longer my job. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there's, there's a reason NASA has never used cables to assist astronauts in their grip or their ability to move the suit because they engineers at NASA, as brilliant as they are, understand that extra moving parts is extra things that can go wrong. So you're saying there are a million ways Iron Man's suit would fail, Completely. and the movies don't show any of them. Hardly. No. 
Right. And Batman 2. I mean, I have actually tried to build a device that shot a cable into a wall that you could hang off of. And then I talked to the an agency that tried to build one of these for the government. <laughs> and they failed in exactly the same way I did. Okay, I, I'm old enough to remember Batman in first run on television. And when he had that little device, you know, the gun that shoots the, the, the grappling dart, gun. I said, how does that dart stay in the wall? That's like not <laughs> happening. Actually, what I not use Not happening. No, and wait, see, you got me started on this. Then, <laughs> then they throw the thing up and then climb up the wall. And I said, they're not climbing up a wall. They're just walking along a flat thing. And he tipped the camera because the guy sticking the head out of the window is that, that they, all the angles are wrong. And I knew this. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> I feel you, brother. You feel, totally, you feel right my pain. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so, so here's my point. You have these, uh, in the modern Batman, he's got, it's really kind of an exoskeleton. Yeah. Uh, not an exoskeleton, uh, a, a, a body armor, I guess, is what yeah, you call it. Yeah, it's segmented body armor. And so is this, so, so if between the two of them, who, who do you think would win? Oh, Batman. Oh, no. <laughs> Understand. No. No. Uh, okay, quick vote. My, uh, I think... Iron Man will win. Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Tony Stark for life, baby! <laughs> yeah, you're outnumbered, so you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, one person. I appreciate it. <laughs> My thinking is, is that Iron Man would be like, I'm going to punch... Uh, and then he can't move, and Batman's like... Dunk. <laughs> Okay, the reason why I like Iron Man better is because he builds his own stuff. Yeah. Whereas Batman has, he's got like other people who do it for him. Well, Wayne Industries. Wayne Industries. Yeah, that's Wayne. who builds all his stuff. Uh, technically, that's Wayne Enterprises. Uh, true. <laughs> oh! Oh! <laughs> you are correct, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, are there any real life examples of exoskeletons used in the world? Yeah, so the military's been uh, creating these exoskeletons for soldiers, I think. Uh, Adam, you probably know about them. Thank you. <laughs> and um, they're prosthetic limbs for people who are disabled. Um, and how, are they working the way, like, Luke's hand worked in Star Wars? I mean, <laughs> you know, where you look at the thing. I mean, how, how, are we there yet? Let me ask that question. Not yet. Not can, yet. Can I bring this back, though? Yeah. Like, is there... There must be an attachment that someone who has no arm below the elbow has asked a prosthetist to make, and the prosthetist has said, no, I'm not going to make a, I'm not going to graft a 45 caliber pistol onto the end right. of your prosthetic. <laughs> right. Or a buzzsaw for a fist. Yes! <laughs> that's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that, that's where we're talking about. That's, that's an ethical problem that the constructor has with the goal of the person who needs the device. That's right. That's right. So, um, I mean, right now they're just doing it mainly for treatment for people who are injured, right? Uh, so that they can move about. But uh, eventually, you can think of, you know, you can sort of add more things to it. You can add weapons, you can add swords. I would totally do that. <laughs> laser pistols. You want to be like a Swiss Army knife oh. human. <laughs> my, my son, my, one of my sons once asked me when he was is about it thing four one years or thing old, two? Thing one. Okay. He said, Daddy, the penis is a very special part of your body. And I said, yes, yes. you're right. And you're he said, because all children are jailhouse lawyers, he said, is it more special than a foot? 
And you should have said, son, just wait 12 years. <laughs> here, here was my metric. I thought, well, let's see. If I lost my foot, I could make an extremely usable functional replica of it. Yes, the penis is far more important than the foot. Oh, so this is from the point of view of... Of, of, a, a, of, of re- a, repeal and replace. Of a uh, remodel maker, yes, yes, okay. <laughs> For our final clip, Bill Nye takes over the host seat to explore the pursuit of truth in a world of alternative facts. He's joined by co-host Chuck Nice and senior editor of the Atlantic Monthly, Ross Anderson, in the episode, Science and the Search for Truth. Uh, Drew Huber from Facebook says this, are there still scientists that are using alternative facts to claim that climate change is not real? Well, there's the cherry picking of data. Ross, you, you deal with this all day, I take it. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. You do have people who will, for instance, point to a particularly heavy snowstorm in California uh, or a cold day in January and say, oh, see, yep, nope, climate's not changing, just like we thought. Senator Inhofe showed up on the, on the Senate floor with a snowball. <laughs> with a snowball. <laughs> found, so we laugh, but he and his, oh. the people that vote for him at some level think he's on, to the, right tra- on the right track. Wow. Yeah. Stunning. That is well, just absolutely a, stunning. Uh, but, there are fewer snowball days than there used to be. That's uh, something to consider. But it's confronting people or embracing people or becoming partners with people who uh, have doubled down on yeah. ignoring scientific, what seem to be provable scientific facts. Let's try another query. All right, John Clemens from Facebook. Is social media making us dumber? Uh, <laughs> uh, is Not my Star Talk on your yeah. electric phone? <laughs> there you go. Device. Star Talk's enriching your life and making you that much smarter. Right, everyone? <laughs> right, Uncle Bill. <laughs> um, it, Ross, you deal with your yeah. used to be a print magazine exclusively, but right. how much of what fraction of your business is online now? Oh, I mean, the vast, vast, vast majority of it. I mean, we we publish maybe ten to fifteen pieces in the print magazine monthly, and we publish maybe forty or forty-five articles a day uh, on the web. Oh, wow! It's a factor of a hundred thereabouts. Yeah. So, uh, do you feel that uh, there's a people people who follow you online don't accept your Reporting is accurate. Do you have the pushback because it's social media and it's dismissed as being as making us dumber? Um, sometimes well, I think there's a couple things going. First of all, I want to say that of of course, like any human being, uh, we beings, we make mistakes um, and uh, we regret them, and we try to be really transparent about correcting them uh, and as quickly as possible. Um, but yes. Uh, as far as social media making people dumber, I'm, I'm just not. I feel like any totalizing narratives around social media and it making us smarter or dumber are, are usually sort of themselves dumb. Uh, it's, it's obviously a nuanced phenomenon. I don't know about you guys, but I've been. I mean, I found social media making me smarter in all kinds of ways. I feel more kind of in touch with what's happening. Uh, in the world on a moment-to-moment basis. Now, whether what that's doing for me... Is but lovely. I remember uh, Gil Scott-Heron with the revolution will not be televised. Yes. Mm-hmm. Turns right. out it is being... If you have a revolution, <laughs> it better be on Twitter. It's yeah, not yeah, happening. Absolutely. So uh, to that end, imagine how much more difficult it would have been 
no matter how you feel about these ladies, who, how much more difficult it would have been to organize the women's march without social media. That's right. With social media, it was uh, millions of people showed up in several cities, dozens of cities. And uh, how do you, Ross, do you have any opinion about this proposed science march? Yeah, well, so uh, one of the responsibilities of my job is not to advocate for <laughs> uh, political uh, activism of any sort. But, but um, you're reporting on We'll be on. watching it with interest. Yeah, okay, all right. Yes. Okay. Let's take another query, Chuck. All right. Uh, this is O.I. Ocha. Uh, O.I. is how you spell the first name. I don't know how to say that. Oi. Oi? Okay. Oi Ocha. Oi Ocha. There you go. If people can't use facts and reasoning to make well-informed votes, and there's little hope of improving that situation... <laughs> It's a theme today. There's, I'm telling you, this today is... Today on Everything Sucks, Star Talk Radio. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, and I'm just, I'm going through pages of... I've got stacks of them. I've got what stacks of them. Is there a payoff uh, phrase there at the end? Well, the payoff is, um, should we consider changing the way we vote? Well, this is, That's, hey, uh, Ross Anderson, you know, the... Yeah. No matter what else happened, this is the second time in my lifetime, I guess it's the fifth time in my lifetime, that uh, the popular vote did not determine the, who became president. Uh, yeah. is, do you think there is any way ever that the Electoral College would be modified in any way? Um, I, it sounded like that questioner was referring more to uh, should we be selecting out people who are stupid de demonstrate yeah. <laughs> some capacity for uh, evaluating judgments uh, scientific evidence to vote and I would say absolutely not absolutely uh, not a, uh, that is ugly history to uh, ugly. ideas like that um, but uh, electoral college reform uh, I'd <laughs> probably want to bring on one of my colleagues from uh, the political section. He's blushing. Uh, He's about. blushing. But it's interesting. Everyone. It's an interesting idea. Uh, well, everything's um, interesting. Do you think it's possible? No, not in the near term. And uh, would it be any better or would it just be... The Electoral College, as I understand it, was created to prevent New York and Pennsylvania from having too much influence. Mm -hmm. Right. I think Trump has a good point, too, when he says, look, I didn't campaign on that. Uh, it's a... The, the campaigns would have looked totally different. It's not the case that, oh, if we had run for a popular vote, Hillary would have easily won by three million. He would have lived in Texas, for instance. Yeah, but he also said that the Electoral College is a disaster. So, <laughs> and also he thought it was genius. Right. Well, and, then, and, then it, and then it's the best invention ever uh, once he won. You've been listening to Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your host and your personal astrophysicist. Join me next time for part two of our Time Capsule show. That's all for now. And as always, I bid you to keep looking up. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus essential plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. At Capella University. You'll get support from people who care about your success, from before you enroll to after you graduate.
Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.